podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Justin, just with um, Matt Wade, um, you know, 18 months ago, I guess it, we weren't sure whether we'd ever see him play for Australia again. You know, what's, what's really impressed you about you know, the way he's, you know, demanded his way back into the team and, you know, now for you to see him as a, as a captain. Well, that, that's exactly... Remember we said 18 months ago, if you want to play for Australia again, well, get up the order in Sheffield Shield cricket and keep performing because he was he was smashing the door down and he did exactly what we asked and he, he did that. So he came into test cricket and then we took him on the Australian A Tour and if you remember, he got some a couple of extraordinary hundreds uh, in the in the Australia A in the one in the fifty over games they played, he's obviously done a really good job for the Hobart Hurricanes, um, and he's just an experienced campaigner now. He, he's captain Tasmania, he's captain Hobart. Um, he's fantastic around the group. You should see. I mean, the, we see what a lot of people don't see. You know, he's brilliant around the group. He does a lot of work for the players. Um, he's very popular. He's. Uh, you know, he's really grown. He's grown to a um, really strong leader and his performances have been excellent. Well, that was Ben Horn talking to Justin Langer after the second T20 international of the current series against India. And they were, of course, talking about the new T20 captain for Australia, Matty Wade. And what a fantastic night it was for Wade and his whole family, but also for me and my whole family <laughs> and this podcast to finally be vindicated and to get the support of uh, all the Australian public out there. It was a very special moment for men and so i'm very happy of course you're listening to the cricket unfiltered podcast i'm your co-host men i'm with paul the summer game dennett how are you paul i'm good men and i've always liked matthew wade but compared to to you it's almost like i don't like him because the love that you have for him is just epic and so yeah congratulations i feel like you know you contributed to his beautiful half century so well, well done uh, can, i'll paint the, the picture for you I, i'm in the media center at the scg and you know they're quite quiet serious affairs <laughs> and Matty Wade comes out to bat as the Australian captain and oh, something happened to me. I just turned into this super fan. I was cheering every boundary. Uh, I went wild when he hit that six in the second or third over and then eventually I realised I just had to leave the media centre <laughs> and go out and be with the people and just soak up a glorious night for short people all around the world. <laughs> well done, Menace. Well done. Uh, in this podcast, we're going to wrap up all the action from the White Ball series. We're going to talk about some of the cricket controversies that are swirling around. And then we'll be joined by a big bash player, Jack Edwards, who's getting ready with the Sydney Sixers in Hobart. And then we're going to wrap it up with Can't Let It Go. But uh, before we get into the White Ball stuff, Paul, I just want to talk about the sort of broader issue of the captaincy of the T20 game. Uh, obviously, as I said, I'm thrilled that Matt Wade was given the, the job, but there was some sort of discussion that Steve Smith had been overlooked for the match, which I think was folly, but what do you think? No, I, I just think it, if I'm a, a selector and I've got two buttons in front of me and it's press one and your life can proceed serenely, or press two and you're going to create a maelstrom of activity and it's going to be controversy and talking points and blah, blah, blah. Of course you're going to press button number one. Making Matthew Wade captain now does not mean that Steve Smith can never be captain again. It's all fine. It's just a stopgap measure to give a, a really good veteran player who's got some leadership talent a chance. If they had gone ahead and said, no, Smith is the captain now, then it's you know laying down a marker. It's a precedent. This is the moment. As soon as there's a new chance that he's going to be the captain and blah, blah, blah. You just want an easy life, don't you? Yeah, and there is the issue that if they bring Smith back, it will bring up the sandpaper gate issue again. Uh, whether they like it or not, it, that will be the thing people talk about for the first little while oh, when Smith fine, gets man. the job. Oh, that's fine. I mean, they're, they're always going to talk about that a little bit. You know, that's 
I don't think that'd be a reason. No, but if he's never made captain again, then those those things never bring up. <laughs> they should. Well, no, they won't be asking the Australian captain about you know the last time he was captain and what happened. I can't see how that, how that would play into their thinking because it's it's still bubbling around. It's always going to be asked. Um, you know, maybe if we just never played cricket again, it might. <laughs> <laughs> if we banned all human communication. Ban would work. <laughs> All right, so we've gone from happy manners to mad manners because, Paul, there is something that has got me going, and it is the fact that Australia went into the third one-day international against India with a what I thought was a very poor team. And, and what's really got me angry, Paul, is that we've taken the foot off the Indian throat. We had them down 2-0. They come to Australia and we were dominating them. Then we go to Manika Oval. It's the third ODI. It's a dead rubber. But we just throw out this team, this just make Make up one day international team that I thought was so bad. Uh, not that the, the players are fine, but I just did not like the combination. Especially what annoyed me the most was moving Manus Labuschagne from the middle order to open the batting. That just completely changed the whole balance of the team. It was a huge mess up by the Australian selectors. And since then, the Indians have won three games in a row. Yeah, correlation is not causation, mate. Um, they. Uh, I think it was perfectly fine for them to open with Labuschagne. I think it's a good idea, and it just didn't work, and India outplayed Australia um, in that game. Uh, I just think that um, you can read too much into these things and sort of invent turning points that aren't there. But, but what, how am I inventing it? Like they've won that game and since won the last two T20s. My thing is that... Yeah, they've they've tried to put together this fifty over side. Manus was just settling in nicely to a middle order role. All they needed to do was go, here's Matty Wade to replace David Warner. Everybody stay the same. And yet instead of that, Labashane opened, Cummins was resting, Stark well had a little niggle, we think, but he didn't play. So Australia went in with uh, an attack of Abbott, Zampa, Agar, Hazelwood, and a few backup bowlers. And, and no wonder they got Pummeled by India. Yeah, I agree with you more on that point. I think that, 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 that there's something in that. I'm just thinking uh, your sort of first point talks about sort of almost momentum. And I just remember the 2019 Ashes after Australia won the first test match. It was just like England's hopeless. They can't win another game. And then when they squared it, won all. It was Australia's useless. Then Australia won the second last test match. They're going to go. And then England won the last. It was just the, the, the you know, momentum is, is vastly overplayed. But to extend your point, then going into the the, the the second T20 where we had, I think, what, six or seven of our, our top squad missing, we we did have a bits and pieces side, but it's kind of, you know, it's, it's one of these things that was thrust upon us. We didn't necessarily choose to have that happen. Yeah, I, you know, I do sort of see your point about momentum, but it's not so much about momentum. I mean, it is about momentum because we've sacrificed it, but I just didn't like the, the sort of... Um, signal that it was just putting out this sort of team I, I just didn't like Marnus opening and, and I, I just don't like letting a, a touring team you know get a sort of free pass into the summer but I think that that's not what, what happened I think that on another night Labuschagne would have scored a century I think he's a very viable option as an opener and he bats um, at number three in, in, in red ball cricket which is virtually opening anyway but but if he if he's he's going to bat at four and they earmarked him as a number four, just leave him there. Let your middle order work on combinations. You know, let Smith, um, Labuschagne, Carey, and Maxwell really form a, a really tight union in the middle there. And, and rather than sort of mess up the whole team, and but we did get to see the debut of Cameron Green. Um, what did you think of him? I mean, looked good. Um, he ultimately didn't have the most successful night. Uh, Got hit around a bit at times, but uh, and then you know um, got out when uh, at a crucial moment. But you know the, the, there certainly was a, that flash of promise there. I mean, the, the big concern I've got over him, uh, and regular listeners will know that I've been very bullish about him, and I know he scored a century today, so you still got to be bullish about him. It's just it does get to the fact that there's been no one that tall who's ever been a great batsman, and the whole thing of um, the, the low centre of gravity of Bradman and Tendulkar and Lara and all these players, and you look at the players that are, that are two metres tall, Tom Moody was a decent batsman, but that's kind of about it. Um, they sort of prop forward on the front foot, they they look really, really good, but they do have a tendency maybe to, to nick off a little bit, so that's my only um, my only concern about Cameron Green is um, he's maybe he's too tall. <laughs> No one's ever said that about me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's too early to tell with whether with this hype, but I mean, it worked okay for Kevin Peterson with those big strides, so maybe it could work for Green. 
Yeah, but Peterson's like what six foot three, Green's six foot eight or something like that. It's a big difference. Yeah, they're all very tall for me. Yeah, from your perspective, it is. It's I, all I the same. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into the headlines. Brought to you by Piccolo Podcast. So uh, Australia won the one day international series two one, despite coughing up the last game, and then we moved into the the T Twenty series. Paul, the first game was played at Monica Oval in uh, Friday night Australian time, and there was a controversy around the concussion. Substitution for Ravindra Jajaja, who was replaced in the dinner break by um, Chahal. And we saw uh, Justin Langer blowing up to the match referee, David Boone. How do you read this one? Well, yeah, it's a massive talking point. Um, I think, well, firstly, I think that there's some things that cricket, the International Cricket Council can learn from this that they, they probably look, need to look to, um, to, to the future. Um, so one thing I don't have any problem with is if you accept that it was okay that Jadeja did get a substitute, I have no problem with Chahal being that substitute. I think that um, the, the notion that well, Jadeja's a, an all-rounder and Chahal's a specialist bowler, I, I don't go along with that. I think that given that all they were going to do in the game was the substitute was going to do is bowl, um, if you give me the choice, who do I want, Jadeja or Chahal? I think Jadeja and Chahal are both very fine bowlers, both not as good in Australia as they are elsewhere. Jadeja is a much better fielder. I think it's 50-50. I think he's a perfectly adequate substitute. So on that score, I don't understand what the Australians were complaining about on that score. Would you, would you agree with that? Yep. Uh, but on the other score, um, you know, you don't – ultimately they did what the match referee – the match referee allowed them to do it. So there's no kind of – talk of cheating in that regard, but the cynics will look at it and say, geez, it happened to pan out very nicely for India that the that Jadeja was able to bat and get all of, everything out of him in batting, even though he'd been hit in the head, um, and then um, when he probably wasn't going to get a bowl, he, he the replacement was able to come forward and, and, and bowl all of his overs, so that worked out perfectly. The big glaring omission was the fact that when he was first hit, there was no doctor coming out and examining him at that point. I think that was something that India deserves some criticism for, that if they are going to take it as seriously as they, as they should, then, you know, if we accept that he was concussed, then he would have been concussed at that point. It was dangerous for him to be continuing to bat. People will say, oh, but what about Steve Smith in, in the Ashes? And, and the, I think that it's a completely different situation, that um, uh, he passed the concussion test initially and then failed it later on. And in the second innings, Steve Smith... Um, not batting was demonstrably against Australia's best interest. You know, at the time, uh, he was the only one scoring any runs in in um, in England. And the fact that Labuschagne came on and did really well wasn't to be known at the time. Labuschagne was very much a fringe player, so I don't think there's any. There's a lot of talk on Twitter about that. I don't think there's much comparison there. But um, I think that the lessons that need to be learned out of this are. Um, we can't, you know, it may well be completely legitimate that he was concussed, um, and so that's fine. But I think it would be better that we have an independent doctor going forward rather than the team doctor. And we need an independent match referee, as in a match referee not from um, the nation involved. I know that's because of corona, um, but I said at the time when um, Stuart Broad was being match refereed by his father in England that even in these times of corona, given we are flying all these people into the country, I think one more would have been ideal and get a, a neutral um, a neutral uh, match referee because David Boone was in an untenable position. If he'd decided to say, no, I'm not going to allow this... Um, uh, concussion substitute because I think that it's just as a front to get him through his injury. You know, he would have, <laughs> it would have been the end of him um, because they would have said, oh, how convenient. Justin Langer's first, you know, opening batting partner and a man sort of synonymous with Australia has made this decision. He'd, you know, he'd have been castigated in India. So he was never going to be able to do that. And the laws probably didn't allow him to. I think that's the other thing. They probably need to look at rewriting the playing conditions to maybe tighten things up a bit. But even so, I think it's always going to be a grey area. Yeah, and I guess the the undercurrent that people are sort of alluding to is the doubts around uh, whether Ravindra Jadeja has a hamstring injury or a concussion and whether the Indian team used the rules to suit them. But quite frankly, they were within the rules. They didn't go outside the rules. And so more this is what ICC can do to fine-tune the regulations about who you can substitute in and perhaps what their you know role in the game has been before the substitution. Uh, I, I don't think India did anything particularly wrong apart from uh, perhaps not getting out to Jadeja early enough and checking the concussion. So really the, the, the problem again is with the ICC. I think the problem is that no matter how much you tighten the rules, there's always going to be a grey area because let's just say that 
all of what I said above existed. And so an independent doctor came out and examined Jadeja straight away, um, and he passed the test. During the innings break, if he walks up to the doctor and says, I'm feeling dizzy, what's the doctor to do? That, that, you know, that in no other sport is there ever potentially an incentive to fail the test. And I'm not saying that's what Jadeja did. But if someone was out there with malicious intent and you say to the doctor, I'm feeling dizzy, the doctor isn't going to be able to disprove that. I agree. And that's why it's more about the the rules around who they can sub in is something that they need to look at. You know, if someone's batted already for and made a certain amount of runs, then you shouldn't be able to sort of sub in a, a bowler effectively. But yeah, that's something they just need to tighten it up. Those are already in the rules. The playing conditions sort of say that if the match referee is not satisfied that it's a like-for-like replacement, he can put um, stipulations on there. So let's say it happened in reverse and that um, Chahal had been injured just before the uh, Indians were about to bat and they wanted to bring Jadeja in. The match referee would be quite within his rights to say, yeah, you can bring Jadeja in, but he has to bat at 11. Um, and th- those sorts of things are written into the laws already. So I think that part of it's written in as much as possible. You could write in things about, you know, if there's a suspicion that a player has another injury, then dot, dot, dot. But you, it's very, very hard to legislate for, I think. Well, that was the Indians um, using the rules to benefit them. We'll come to England, who've been up to some nefarious activities in the their latest T20 series. But let's stay right here. <laughs> Um, in the first match at Canberra. So in that match, Australia lost um, to India by 11 runs. India made 161. Australia was seven for 150 in reply. And i got to say, uh, if I had a shotgun, when Darcy Short was batting, I would have shot the TV at home. He made 34 off 38 deliveries. I, I just cannot accept that that is somebody that has any cricket smarts about them to play that kind of pathetic innings when you're chasing a target. I'm sorry, short, you came up short. I initially thought that, but I think that it was it was a little bit difficult to actually get to get a lot of momentum going. And I think that you look at the Indian innings and um, Rahul scored, but he did score more quickly than Short, but he kind of anchored their innings and Short was just lacking someone to come in and absolutely explode at the end. I, I'm kind of with you. I think that these two games have probably shown me that um, I think we should move beyond Short in, um, in, in T20 cricket, but I, I don't think it was quite that bad. 34 of 38 is not good enough. It just left too much for the rest of the batters to, to do. And he just, he just couldn't get to hit the ball off the square. It was it seemed to get worse as the innings went on. And I don't know, I, I think in T20 cricket, you kind of got to go at it. And if you get out, you, at least you give someone else a shot. So then from Canberra, the two teams moved to Sydney to the SCG for the second game. And, well, that was the, the Matty Wade show. Australia made five for 194. Matty Wade, 58 of 32 balls. Yes, 58 of 32 balls. That's a strike rate of 181.25. Um, he was backed up by Steve Smith, who made 46 off 38. And uh, Moses Enriquez made a handy 26 off 18. But then it was the Hardik Pandya show. He smashed... 42 not out of 22 deliveries to smash India to a victory. They needed 15 runs off the last over and got it with um, a ball to spare or two balls to spare. And we saw a strange team. We mentioned at the beginning there were six uh, first-team players injured, so they had to sort of go onto the list and find some other people around. So they got Daniel Sams to make his debut, and AJ Ty came in. Um, yeah, not a great bowling attack for Australia. Probably not a bad effort. I think that the uh, – it's funny with Sydney that on a hot day when it stays hot at night, I always think that it's difficult batting second because the the – the atmosphere seems to close in and the ball moves around a lot. This is a hot day that actually cooled down quite a lot and the pitch seemed to just settle down a bit. And I, uh, you're probably going to disagree, disagree with me on this, but I thought that when you have someone with the ability of Smith in the Australian innings, from time to time finding the pitch quite difficult and hard to get some fluency into his shots, I didn't notice that when the Indians were batting. And I actually, when, when Coley got out and there was everyone was sort of saying, oh, you know, this is, um, this is the turning point, I thought, geez... As long as they keep on swinging from the hilt here, the pitch is evening out quite nicely, and I, I think they're every chance of winning. So I think it's one of these ones that if Australia had happened to bat second, they may well have won. And so you could say that with six top players missing and Stoinis playing but unable to bowl, and I think getting the worst of the wicket, um, Australia didn't do all that badly. No, and 
a tough assignment for Daniel Sams to bowl the last over on debut against one of the best T20 players in the world in Pandya. So you're right. I mean, you know, Hazelwood was out with a niggle. Stark had to leave for personal reasons. Cummins is resting. They're also, you know, restricted by the sort of bubble situation. It's not like they can just go into the Australia A squad and pull some bowlers from there, uh, like a James Pattinson or a Michael Neeser. So, yeah, it was a sort of tough situation for the selectors. I really enjoyed that innings of Matty Wade. I think he showed what he can do at the, to- you know, the top of the order. And imagine what he could have done in that third ODI. I'll get over it eventually. Actually. Um, but yeah, so great innings um, by Pandya at the end. What was it? What was sort of um, nice was you know you and I watch a lot of cricket, so we're, I've seen Pandya do it in the IPL yeah. a number of times. But a lot of you know Australian general public haven't seen him in full swing, and it was sort of a light bulb moment for a lot of um, the Australian public. Like, why? Who's this star? So um, yeah, that was good for the the, the series. Yeah, he's a star. I remember in the tw- was it the two thousand and seventeen um, Champions League, no, the the Champions Trophy final, where India ended up getting thrashed, but Pandya came out and clouted about six or seven massive sixes uh, in a losing innings. And yeah, he's a very exciting player. There's talk that maybe they'll want to keep him in out here for the for the Test matches, which I think would be would be a good idea. You were talking about the chase before. One thing that I was sort of looking at the chase is that India were always within touching distance of the target, and I just felt that they always had the sort of firepower in the sheds that they could make an assault in the last five or six overs against Australia's target. And although it sort of looked when Coley got out that Australia could uh, seal the deal here, um, they just had India just had too much firepower down the order. Yeah, and it kind of um, contrasts with what happened in Australia's innings. And I, I still think that one of the big problems that we face, and if we look ahead to the scheduled World Cup next year in India, that no matter we, we seem to have so many players at the top of the innings when the ball is hard and the field is up who can be relied upon to, to score at a great rate. What I'm worried about is, you know, in that 11th over when all of a sudden we've lost a quick wicket and the new batsman's got to come out and it's, you know, it's Kuldeep Yadav or it's um, Yuzvendra Chahal or Jadeja or whomever, um, suddenly really landing the ball and getting some turn, we find it very difficult for our players to come out and start against spin and A, survive and B, not take too many balls and start to score really, really quickly. What's the solution? Is it Enriquez? I think he's certainly going to be important. I think Maxwell and Enriquez is a nice little yep. one-two punch in the middle order there. And it's sort of, you know, team balance. Where will Manus fit in in the middle order in the T20 side? Will Smith actually um, stay at three? I mean, there were sort of questions because Smith scratched around in those middle overs uh, last night or Sunday night and, and couldn't get going when really they needed him to sort of take control of the innings. So, yeah, I like Maxwell and Enriquez in the middle order. It'd be interesting what happens with Labashain because he's obviously not in the top T20 side at the moment and there's that feeling that he doesn't hit the ball long enough. Um, if, if his class prevails, then he's someone I do want out there in India, especially with the small boundaries, because you don't quite need the power. And I think his power is probably a lot higher than people think. So, yeah, I mean, it, it could shape as a as a pretty decent middle order. He's um, busy, Labashane. He's a very busy player. So Yeah, but sometimes people who are busy, you forget that they can actually hit the ball along. Like Steve Smith, uh, people are starting to realise, oh, maybe he's not quite as much as a, of a power hitter as Maxwell, but he's not far behind. My inkling is that Labashane is probably going to rise in people's estimation in that regard as well. So, Australia lost the T20 series. India won it 2-0. Not even Matt Wade's superb captaincy could save Australia. We've got some ratings figures there, Paul. It was, according to TV Tonight, that the second T20 attracted 623,000 people to become the most watched cricket game ever on pay television. Now, I don't know if that's comparing completely like with like because this one is actually aggregating um, Foxtel, uh, Foxtel Go, Foxtel Now, and Ko. Uh, so maybe, uh, maybe in the past, all those figures didn't um, didn't quite work. But to get six hundred and twenty three thousand is a superb effort um, for Foxtel, and you know, Channel Seven must be f- regretting significantly that they haven't got these games on because if these been on free to air, we'd be talking into the millions easily. 
Yeah, and, and you know the big bash games in summer usually rate or were rating in their peak around a million. So you think these would definitely get that. That's uh, the T20 series. Australia have got the dead rubber on Tuesday night Sydney time. I'll be at the game, but for me, I'm going into it. It's like the decider. Australia are three two up in this six match white ball series. Can Australia level this white ball series and and get away with a three all result? Yeah, I kind of know what you mean. That uh, if they lose this, it'll be four losses on the trot, and uh, you know it's. it's there's a fair bit to play for. Interesting what the crowd will be because the crowd restrictions um, cease now. So there will be, in theory, as many as you want at the SCG. I don't think there will be that many there. People tend to move quite slowly on these things. So people who are sort of talking about 40,000, I'd be blown away if there's is anything that big. I, I'd still think they're probably in the in the low 20s, but let you know, it'd be good if it, if, if it could be quite decent. You forget how obsessive some of these Indian cricket fans are. I mean, it's all India at the ground. There's very few Australian supporters, and uh, it's kind of a surreal experience sitting at the SCG when it's humming like that it was on Sunday night, almost 20,000 people, and you sort of think about the rest of the world, all sports being played in front of empty stadiums. You know, I was watching the Premier League, and Spurs Arsenal had like a 1,000 people spread across this huge stadium, and that you're at the SCG, and it's almost like COVID never happened. Yeah, I mean... Go Australia. Absolutely. All right, uh, the the tour continues. There's so much cricket in Sydney. So Australia A is taking on. That's why I'm such a good mood tonight, Paul. This has been a feast of cricket. It's uh, it's just it just doesn't stop. Australia A uh, taking on the Indians. That's what they're calling them. It's not India A. It's like at the touring party. And yeah, that was a precedent set in about 1870 something. I think beautiful. Um, any more information about that or why? No, it's because it's to, it's to distinguish it from the national side, so that um, back in the day, the England side would tour under the name of the Maryland Cricket Club, so the MCC, so they'd play all games outside the tests. It would be MCC versus New South Wales, and only for the test match would it be England versus Australia. When Australia tour England, you'll see that when they play the county, it's technically Australians versus Worcester or whatever else. So the Indians made nine for 247. Rahane made 117 not out, which is a good innings for him because he'll be taking over the captaincy when Coley goes home. Leading wicket-taker James Pattinson, three for 58. And he could come into calculations for the first test, first test with Star now um, out for personal reasons. Hazelwood with a, a niggle. Uh, Pattinson could be in there. Definitely. Um, it'd be very exciting if he if he was to be. Um, Green bowled eight overs, none for nine, very tidy. Um, and in a sight to make all Australians a little bit nervous, Chitezwa Pajara, 54, and he was the tormentor from two years ago. Uh, Gill got a duck and Shaw got a duck and Vahari, 15. So not all of the test prospects did all that well. And then, in response, the bat-off for the opening position. Well, no, no doubt with your complete bias to Burns, your headline will be, Burns outscores Pekovsky by, by a factor of four. That's right. Will Pekovsky made one. Joe Burns made a, a dazzling four. Um, <laughs> but, but the real talking point, well, I'll just go through the rest of the card. Travis Head made 18, Marcus Harris 35, Nick Madison 23. But everyone's talking about the man who's... Very, very tall. Also made 114 not out. Cameron Green, his fifth first-class century in just his 20th game. It's, it's quite a, a phenomenal achievement. And, you know, he's going to do really well watching the test matches from the sideline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it, it, it'd be quite something that Joe Burns gets picked over him when you look at the season so far. That if, if Joe Burns makes no runs in the second innings, that Cameron Green in that innings will have made more, roughly double Joe Burns' entire but season But Green outlet. can't open. Yeah, just in the same way that Shane Watson couldn't open, David Boone couldn't <laughs> open, and um, uh, every single player who's ever been moved up to opener has found it fine. It's just, you know. Um, You'd more move Marnus up to open, wouldn't you, if you were going to do that? You know my viewpoint. Every Does day, it, I know. I'd put the top seven in a hat and pull them out each day and just say, here's the batting order, and I do this exclusively to Trolley and Chapel. So I watched a bit of Green's innings. He looks good. Um, uh, he, he, I think he gave a couple of chances. I'll tell you what was concerning. Will Pekofsky seems to have a bit of the, 
young Ricky Ponting's about him, shuffling across the crease, and uh, good bowlers being able to really target that front pad for an LBW decision. Uh, so that that if I'm the if I'm the opposition coach, I'm saying off cutters slamming into that front pad. You just got to take him out and play that. What's that cover drive drill? You just throw every ball down to him. He has to hit a cover drive too. That'll fix him. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that's great stuff by Green, but I just don't think he's going to get in the side. Uh, but clearly, uh, you know, the future for him is bright, despite your doubts about his height. <laughs> um, so that's the tour game. When you're listening to this, it could be over. Uh, we're not sure if they'll get a result, but uh, I would say Burns and Pekovsky would be hoping they get another bat. Um, and then there's another tour game starting, I think, Friday night at the SCG. Pink They're ball. playing a pink ball day-night game. And there is um, talk that Langer is now going to leave behind more of the test players to play in the, the game to get some match practice uh, ahead of the pink ball test match. All right, just a couple of things before we leave headlines. Uh, there's been a bit of talk in the last week by one Ian Chappell uh, that um, the switch hit by batters is not, well, shouldn't be allowed, that uh, a batter shouldn't be able to switch from being a right-hander to a left-hander. What do you think? I mean, I love Ian Chappell. Um, I, I think about him every day, but this is crazy. I mean, it's just it's such a wonderful part of the game that he is inventing something to be angry about that he does not need to have ang- to be angry about. It was examined by the MCC seven or eight years ago, and they said it's absolutely fine. And his argument that, that the bowler can't choose – the bowler has to sort of let the batter know which hand he's bowling from um, and, and that, therefore, this should be outlawed is just – it just doesn't make any sense. I mean – the bowler's also not allowed to step over the front line. I mean, Ian Chappell's a great advocate for players, batsmen using their, their feet to spinners. If that had never happened and batsmen were suddenly jumping down the pitch, which all well, the bowler's got to stand behind the line, why is the batsman allowed to, <laughs> to jump down the track? It completely alters the way, the nature of the field. You know, if the captain could set the field differently, if the, if he knew that the bowler was gonna, the batsman was gonna jump down the, the pitch. The fact is, Batting's a two-handed game. You can do whatever you want. The, the, as soon as the bowler starts to run in, the way you're standing, that defines offside and defines onside. And from there, you can do anything you want. It, it's absolutely fine. And even if it wasn't, and it is, but even if it wasn't, it would still be worth it for this wonderful talking point. That shot that Maxwell hit um, 100 metres over point was brilliant. Uh, we don't want to deny cricket fans something that's so joyous for a reason that's completely spurious. Yeah, and I think there's a very simple fix for this that they can put in the rules. If a bowler wants to switch hands mid uh, run up, he should be able to. So, uh, you know, come and bowl with his left arm, one ball. Uh, there, there are actually some bowlers who can bowl with both arms. Um, just make that um, legal, and then we're not going to see it happen tomorrow. But maybe in a few years, we will see bowlers come up who um, can just sneakily, you know, bowl one with the other arm to put off the batter. Yeah, I mean. The bowler's not allowed to bat either. I mean, should we make it that the bowler should be able to come in and, and hit the ball down? Does it make it completely equal? Just that one batsman to the other batsman. <laughs> I think that they said that the reason that the bowler has to notify um, which side of the wicket they're going to bowl is that many places around the world, the sight screens have to be moved. Yeah, but... And that that then flows through that you can't change hands without telling... Because you, you're silly. Because you'd be um, changing sides of the wicket or whatever else. But... Yeah, I mean, could really work if you're a right arm bowler running in over the wicket, and you switch and bowl left arm. All of a sudden, the ball's coming from a totally different angle, it's angling in at the stumps. Um, just you have to be able to get it on the pitch. <laughs> anyway, that's my solution: allow bowlers to bowl with whatever hand they want, um, without having to know. No, the, the solution is to say to Ian Chapel, mate, shut up. Um, it's fine. I just don't think you've really looked into this enough. <laughs> I really want bowls to be able to switch hands mid-delivery. I mean, it just sounds exciting. Um, all right, and the last headline. Now, I, I touched on India perhaps bending the rules. Well, England have just thrown the rules out the door, and they are, I'm going to call it cheating, although they're not breaking the rules. I think this is against the spirit of the game. So if you haven't seen, the England team started displaying codes on their dressing room so the coaches could communicate with Owen Morgan and give him suggestions on what tactics to use. And this is what the English spokesman said. He said the numbers and letters were intended as a live informational resource that the captain may choose to use or ignore as he wishes. They're not commands or instructions and all decision making takes place on the field. 
I, I, this is just a shocker from England. I'm very passionate about this. I am passionately uninterested. I am very happy for them to legalise this forevermore or to ban it forevermore, as long as talk of it doesn't have to cross my ears again. <laughs> um, it's fine either way. I don't it's care. It's not fine. What if there's a DRS appeal and they quickly just switch the numbers because they've got a TV there? They're like, oh, just, you know, and then the cap- you know, the captain's got, what, how many seconds to call for DRS? <laughs> they could just... Put in, well, that's what that's what the brain fade was about, wasn't it? No, it wasn't changing the sign. Yeah, they, but they changed the sign quickly, and all of a sudden, oh, I'll take the review. I mean, there's so many ways. I'd be fine for that. Well, I mean, why? Why? How can you justify this sort of blatant cheating by the founders of the game? It's not blatant cheating. It is. For a start, it was. It wasn't. They were. They've been allowed to do it, so well, it's not it's, cheating. Whoever the match referee's had a shocker. Um, but what I like is that it seems to be as simple as just that they're putting a letter and a number, and presumably the letter corresponds to a player from their side and a number from the player from the other side. So you can imagine in the 1990s if if it happened to Australia and they've gone out, all right, um, G7, and they've gone, oh, who's who's G? Someone pulls out a piece of paper. G is, um, oh, it's Daryl Cullinan. Who's seven? Shane Warne. Oh, they're saying we should put Warne onto Cullinan. Oh, we better do that. Well, I think this is pathetic by England. And do you remember in the, um, I think it was the 1999 World Cup when Hansi Cronje wore a sort of earpiece and the coach at the time, Bob Woolmer, was using that to communicate with him. And it's very similar to that. I just think this is um, not what we want to see. We don't want, like, the dressing room and the coaches sort of giving live information from the dressing room to the on-field. I mean, what we're going to see, like, coded light soon and uh, Morse code. Um, there's going to be Morse code classes for the captains so that they can be given instructions. This is just a shocker. As Trust with, England to come up with something so silly. As with the Icelandic second division ice hockey, it may exist, it may not exist. I'm not sure. It doesn't bother me. Okay, well, it bothers me. I think England have had a shocker and, you know, they're just against the spirit of the game. So go back, England, and work this out because cricket does not need this sort of cheating. Does not. And it can be bent. The rules can be bent too easily. Um, All right, well, we're going to take our first break of the show. Um, When we come back, we're going to go through viewer mail, but we're also going to preview the Big Bash. The Big Bash starts this week. And we've got Sydney Sixers player Jack Edwards joining us for a chat about their preparation for the tournament. We'll be back in a moment. Could be quite a significant moment in Australian cricket. Who knows? Edwards on the back foot. This will be it. He's just working it down towards fine leg. He'll come back. This is it. What a moment for the young man. Jack Edwards, his first Sheffield Shield century, his first first-class ton at the home of New South Wales cricket at the SCG. And isn't he elated with that as he embraces his teammate, Jason Sanger. He's done a magnificent job. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm with Paul. And that was the moment a young player named Jack Edwards brought up his maiden first class century. I was lucky enough to be in the commentary box at the time. And now Jack Edwards is preparing for the Sydney Sixers season. He's down in Tasmania and uh, we've got him on the podcast now. Jack, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Now, um, you know, you've been in really good form in the last few weeks in Sydney Premier Cricket. Are you um, heading into the big bash in sort of good nick? Yeah, I feel like I'm um, yeah, playing really well. Obviously, a few runs in Premier Cricket in the last few weeks. But, um, yeah, just for the season, um, even when I was in Adelaide in, in the hub there, just felt like I was playing really well. And um, so it was nice to actually come back and play a few games. And then leading into this big bash, I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm playing as well as I ever have. So excited to see what's ahead and um, if there's any opportunities for me and hopefully to take them. Yeah, um, you know, looking at your sort of T20 record, you know, it seems like it's probably the, the one form of the game you haven't really been able to sort of get a big score, you know, at, at state level anyway. Um, so do you know any reason for that and have you worked on it in the off-season? Uh, yeah, it, it has been the, the one format for me that I haven't um, exactly lit up yet and... Um, it, it was hard because I guess the other in first class and this day kind of came on the scene and, and did well. So um, that kind of relaxed the nerves and, and took a bit of pressure off me. But um, 
yeah, I feel like I haven't, I haven't quite nailed down the T20 stuff in, in my first, uh, you know, five to ten games. But I think the T20, it's, it's so hit or miss. And, um, you know, opportunities are few and far between. And, and the risk that you have to take as a batsman, sometimes it just doesn't quite work out. Um, but for me, it's definitely just been working on um, mindset and, and staying calm under pressure and when, when they're in front of big crowds. Because um, I, know, I know my game's good enough, just about being able to do it when you're under pressure and um, when the game's on the line. Yeah, absolutely. You were sort of tried at the top of the order. Has um, the coach, Greg Shippard, given you any indication whether they'd like you in the same role this season? Uh, been been opening the batting in the trial game um, and in the net been partnered with Filthy. So, um, yeah, I think if an opportunity arises, it'll be at the top of the order. Yeah, fantastic. And um, do, do, you, do you enjoy playing in front of the big crowds? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's um, it certainly gets the adrenaline pumping, um, and it's a lot of fun. But I think that's that's part of the challenge as well is being able to uh, bring yourself back down to that level place where um, you know you're calm and, and, and focused and at your best because it's very easy to get get carried away. And I, I'll admit, I think in my first couple of games, probably just got a little bit carried away and a bit too much adrenaline and trying to play too many shots. So. Um, that was good learning and hopefully now just being able to go out there and, and stay calm and, and, and focus. What's the vibe like in Hobart? The um, They're going to get a lot of games there to begin the tournament. Is it, is it something that the the city's excited by, do you think? Yeah, it's a really good vibe um, down here at the moment um, amongst the, the Sixers lads. Everyone's getting on well and, and in the trial games been having a lot of fun and plenty of laughs with each other. And um, I think everyone's just chomping at the bit to get get going really um i think everyone's playing really well and in good form so yeah we're super pumped and, and ready to go do, do you feel like the Sixers have sort of got a, a mark on their back now as holding the title and the other teams are coming for you um yeah it's funny we, we spoke about this in a meeting the other day uh Chippy actually mentioned that perhaps we're the hunted this year whereas in, in previous years we maybe um you know hadn't hadn't been uh pumped up at the start of the tournament but definitely going into this year feeling like the hunter but I think that's, that's some pressure that we like and um, I think we're in a good situation where you know everyone's playing well and uh, we're going well as a team and um, as I said everyone's just, just ready to go and play as well as we can. Yeah, and what are the restrictions for the Sixers with the hub? Um, yeah, can you can you go out and about? Uh, you know, how strict are the, the rules? <clears throat> yeah, it's not too bad. Um, uh, we can go out to um, you know restaurants, cafes, as long as we're outside, um, and you have to wear your mask quite a lot of the time. Um, yep. But yeah, for the general part, it's not too too bad as long as you're not going inside the places um, for a substantial amount of time. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of hotel hotel time. Um, so I can certainly see how how it gives people when they're in there for you know months on end. Uh, with regards to the the new rules in the BBL, there's been a, a degree of um, chat about them, and there seems to be a lot of unpopularity. Um, with uh, the power surge, where you get to have um, when you're batting, rather than having the first six overs as the power play, you'll get four, and then there'll be two more that you can elect to at any time. I kind of sort of have this sinking feeling that every captain's going to going to hold them in the nineteenth and twentieth overs. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Well, it's been really interesting so far in our couple of trial games. Um, We've taken them in around the 14th over um, and maybe the 16th oh, over. Cool. Um, Excellent. And found like they actually add quite an interesting dynamic to the game in the sense that, you know, even when you're chasing and you still, you might feel like you're out of the game and need 15 and, up, 15 and over, um, you could force so many runs in those two yeah. overs and also actually create a bit of momentum as well in the team and um, you get, you know, you get that flow on effect. So it's not just those two overs, but the overs after it. But then at the same time as well, batsmen might take unnecessary risks and and get out. So um, I think it adds an interesting aspect to the game and um, it will be a challenge for the bowlers, certainly. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes this year. Oh, that's cool. Um, and, and what about, so in those trial games, has, has there been any use of the substitutions? No, there hasn't been any use of substitutions. Um, but we've been playing 12 men in, in these trial games anyway, just okay. uh, to get everyone a bowl, yeah. Yeah, how do you think you'd react if the coach came on after ten overs and said, "Edwards, right, and not your brother, Jack Edwards, off"? <laughs> you probably feel a little bit hard done by. Um, 
but uh, yeah, whatever's best for the team, I guess. Um, yep. you do as you're told. I'll send that answer to Shippy. Don't worry, he'll like it. <laughs> uh, all right, well, last one, Jack. You've been very generous with your time. You know, you made a stunning entrance to the New South Wales and team, you know, Century, the SCG, then the youngest player to score a domestic 50 over Century for New South Wales. Who were who the players, who in particular in the team do you sort of – you know, look to for advice or someone to help you develop your game, whether that's a senior player or a coach, who's kind of helping you out? Oh, I think, um, you know, in, in both environments, in the Blues and the Sixers, there's some great senior players there. And um, for a young guy like me coming in, they, they made me feel extremely welcome and um, open to, to any questions and also actually coming up to me with any pieces of advice. Um, for someone who I, I definitely work close with is, is Moses. Um, being a, an all-rounder himself and kind of having a similar journey, being, um, you know, playing for New South Wales from a young age. Um, I've, I've definitely learned a lot from him and love having conversations about cricket and, and life with him. So, um, yeah, he, he's been a great mentor for me. He seems like a wonderful leader. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's a great leader of, of this side and uh, everyone looks up to him and um, I think just gives that calming effect of, um, when he's out there, whether you know batting or bowling or, or with the captaincy in the field, you just know that um, what he's doing is is right and best for the team. So you kind of just follow follow suit. Well, that sounds brilliant, Jack. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck for the Sixers this summer. Can't wait to see you running around in the magenta and uh, hope you smash a few Sixers. No, that's all good. Thanks for having me, guys, and um, thank you for the best wishes. No worries. Thanks, Jack. Take care, Jack. Bye-bye. See you soon. Bye. Great stuff there from Jack Edwards, a young player to keep an eye on, that's for sure. All right, let's get into viewer mail. Paul, you've received a message from um, the cheating country. (laughs) 118 has sent us a message saying, I'm a listener of your podcast weekly. Was just wondering if I can get a shout out on your next one all the way from the UK. One of the best podcasts around and always great to catch up with the cricket happening in Australia. Always look at the scorecards from when I played a season of club cricket in Melbourne. Thanks. So yeah, shout out to you. Um, uh, Juan. Juan. He's also got Joe King as his um, uh, handle. So probably not his real name, but thanks for listening. Um, I'm sure you've enjoyed Menes' latest little um, insane rant about uh, calling your nation a nation of cheats, but keep on listening to us. And um, if you get a chance, come and play club cricket in Australia again. Thank you, uh, Joe or Juan. Great to hear from you. Now, another message. This one's from coming from Chicago. Jason Hosking has written in. He's a White Sox season ticket holder, so I won't hold that against him. G'day, boys. Can't find your email to waffle on, but I'm an Aussie living in America. Love me cricket. Hard to stay up all night and watch it, but love the podcast. About to watch the match from Canberra. Yeah, the one where you can't take a sandwich in and keep it fresh. Cheers, boys. Thanks for keeping us all informed. Great show. Thanks, Jason, from the Midwest of America. Fantastic, yeah. Uh, thanks, Jason. And anyone who did go to either of the Canberra games, let us know if you did have any trouble or they whether they did enforce those rules in terms of what you could and couldn't bring into the stadium. And we got a message from Bryce Mitchell, who wrote in requesting Alison Mitchell uh, to come back on the show as a guest. So, look, I'm trying, Bryce. Hopefully we'll hear from my favourite English cricket commentator soon. All right, we're going to be back with Can't Let It Go. But before we do, I just want to remind you, head on to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at AusCricketPod. That's AUS Cricket Pod. You can also message us there. You can uh, find us on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. Or you can find us on TikTok as Cricket Unfiltered. I've been posting videos from the grounds and uh, posted a great video of Matthew Wade making his 50 on the weekend. So, yeah, head to our TikTok. Um, with all the other 15-year-olds. <laughs> right, coming up after the break, can't let it go. We're back. It's Paula Menas, and you're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. It's can't let it go time. That that one bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. You just got to play at it. So, uh, Paul, what's, what's on your mind? Uh, just something uh, I saw interesting um, reported in the news that Austin Waugh, uh, the son of Steve Waugh, has decided to take a break from cricket. He's aged 21, um, and he's told his Sydney grade club that his uh, interest in the game has waned, and he's just decided that he's not going to play this season. So, 
as a as a big fan of Steve Waugh, I'd always kind of um, kept an eye on Austin ever since I first saw him at the SCG on TV when Steve was um, throwing balls to him. He could only have been about four, and he was belting them along um, with great talent. So it must be very difficult to have the, the famous father's name. And, um, you know, best wishes to him. If he wants to come back to cricket one day, that'd be great. But otherwise, I um, hope, hope everything goes well for Austin Waugh. Yeah, he was an Australian under-19 player. And as you say, there must be so much expectation, not just... I mean, you think about the players that come through and their their parents have played Test cricket. Well, to to have, you know, your dad as being this such such a venerated figure, you're right, it would put a lot of extra pressure on young Austin. So good luck in his endeavours. My can't let it go is um, sticking on great cricketers. The Don Award was awarded this week, which is... Um, given out from the Australian Sports Hall of Fame and it's given to a person or a team over the last 12 months that are considered to have had the capacity, the most capacity to inspire a nation. And for only the second time, this was awarded to a team rather than an individual and it was awarded to the Australian women's cricket team. The other team that got it was the Socceroos from 2006 and um, fantastic for the Australian women's cricket team to be recognised um, for their achievements, um, their contributions to the sport in this country. Um, they are an inspirational unit and uh, it's just fantastic that they were recognised. Yep, absolutely. Well, Paul, that's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. You know, next time we're in the studio recording, we will be previewing the Ted series. I mean, next week it starts. Yeah, it's very exciting. I've really enjoyed these these T20s. I enjoyed the one-dayers, but uh, the, I do think that, that in the modern era, the T20 is the perfect type of entertainment. And um, I've always decried meaningless T20 series, but I've kind of um, I've come around. I'd be quite happy if this was like, you know best of nine or something. <laughs> like great. baseball, best of seven. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you're right. I mean, I was sort of... Um yeah, you know, around busy last Friday, and and when I thought okay, I'm going to be able to go home and watch the whole T20 game, it's not like a one day where it starts in the afternoon and you might miss bits of it. Uh, it's, it's like watching a footy game or something because you all know how much I love watching footy games. <laughs> uh, but you know, you can watch it. It's nice and compact, and, and I think there is actually something to the fact that. Um, you know, when it's against the big teams like India and England, uh, there is quite a fierce rivalry yeah. with there that's coming into the T20 game. They're not just seeing sort of Mickey Mouse games and the, the hit and giggle. So I agree with you. It's been fantastic. Um, plenty more cricket to come. Big bash starting test series. Um, so we'll be back next week to preview the test series. <laughs> Podcast Network.